0: Hello and welcome to Glastocast, the unofficial Glastonbury Festival podcast. I'm Jessie and today I'm remotely joined by Miguel and Rob.
1: Hi! Hey guys, Miguel here.
2: Good to see see you. I'm so used to saying good to see you. Good to hear you guys. (laughs) Yeah, really good to hear you both
0: too. So now it would normally be the time that we set out the episode for you, uh, but this time I'm just starting a little bit different, as we have a few things we need to say. So to start with, we wanted to really apologise for the silence. I know it, it's we've had such an amazing response to the podcast, and we got a couple of episodes out after uh, 2019's Glastonbury Festival, and we had all the promises in the world that we were going to bring you some more. But obviously things massively changed uh, and we've ended up, you know, now we here we are, so 10 months later, only just getting an episode out to you. So I wanted to explain a little bit further why that is. We actually met up in March and we recorded two episodes. And if you cast your minds back... To March of 2020, what happened was the the festival announced their lineup on one day, and then seven days later they announced that the festival was actually cancelled because of the pandemic that was spiralling at the time. Those two episodes that we recorded, they were literally done uh, right in the middle of those two events, so between the lineup announcement and the cancellation, Uh, and we were heavily optimistic at the time. And we really focused on our excitement for 2020 and the 50th anniversary. And then when after the cancellation, it really didn't feel right to release those episodes. We were, of course, like really sad about the situation, as I'm sure all of you listening will have been as well. And like everyone at the time, we didn't know how the pandemic would play out. It was a time of uncertainty. And each of us, of course, we you know, our work situations personally changed as well. And the world was turned upside down, as we all know. So a few people said to me uh, that lockdown sounds like the perfect time for you to work on the podcast, which is true. But without the festival to motivate us, with the world changing so rapidly and our schedules not quite lining up, it's taken until now for us to really be able to get a plan together and pick it back up.
2: So I'm really pleased we're back doing this, guys, because, um, I must admit it was a bit, I did feel a bit down about, you know, the two episodes that we recorded. We were really excited about them. We had that one, uh, basically completely lineup focused where we talk about what we're excited. Unfortunately, obviously, there's not really a great deal we can do with that, but hopefully, um, the second episode, which was where we interviewed a couple of food vendors, uh, we can put that on the back burner and, and, and make that one work as, as, we move towards uh, what we're all excited about, and that's getting back to Glastonbury.
1: Absolutely right, Rob. Those are some really great interviews, so we're definitely going to be using them in a future episode. And speaking of upcoming episodes, now that we're back, we're really looking forward to putting together more content for the Glastonbury community. So we're going to be talking and discussing what's going to be a very different run-up to next year's festival. And I know we say this a lot, but we also really do want to hear from you. We would love to interview anyone who has a Glastonbury story to tell, so please get in touch. We have a remote recording system in place. Or if you prefer, you can record something for us and email it to hello at uk.
2: So for today, we're going to be having a quick catch up as we haven't actually seen or spoken to each other um, since we got together back in March. Um, so we'll be seeing what we've been up to and, you know, what how each of us spent that what would have been the Glastonbury weekend then we have a very special guest for the main part of the episode today we're very lucky as uh, Jesse and Miguel get to speak to Luke who's the creative director at Greenpeace for the festival unfortunately I wasn't able to make this part of the interview but uh, Jesse and Miguel had a fantastic time talking to Luke they asked him loads of good questions and I cannot wait to hear how it goes So, Miguel, uh, how have you been, mate, uh, since we last met, I say, back in March? We did those two episodes. What have you been doing since then? Oh, yeah. Remember March? Remember reacting to the lineup? <laughs> I know. <laughs> right? I'm just trying to think if I can remember all of it. Is it? <laughs> it's like Just
0: thinking about it, one thing that just flashed into my mind, remember when the lineup came out and it was in that circle and everyone was stressing... Because it was in a circle. And that was all we had to worry about.
1: Oh, the, the good old days. <laughs> and then they released sort of like a different poster... And it was also, why is it in alphabetical order now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. Yeah that, yeah. yeah, that is true. Because yeah, before someone pointed that out to me,
2: again, yeah, it, it all seemed very strange. You know, you, you you kind of read the top ones. You think,
1: oh, these are, you know, these are,
2: and then a big name had come up like a little bit further
1: down. Well, but it was a different way of experiencing the first glimpse of the lineup, like surprises all over the poster.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. It was a good way of making sure everybody did read from top to bottom <laughs> yeah. rather, than, rather than stopping halfway down, which I'm not saying I would do, but, you know. I'm sure there would be people that would do that.
1: (laughs) So back to your question. (laughs) Yes. Sorry. uh, Side
2: note. Um, So, yeah. Uh, What have you been up to? Or in particular, what what did you do on what would have been our Glastonbury weekend for 2020?
1: Uh, Well, first of all, I I do remember checking the weather two weeks before. (laughs) (laughs) Because uh, the first two weeks is when you get into that forecast uh, time, you know, now now maybe you, you can... Predict what's going to happen in a way. It never works, but still. No. So, so yeah. Certainly basic, can't you? (laughs) Two two weeks before Glasgow weekend, I I start checking the weather. (laughs) (laughs) But but I I let I let that go quite quickly. My friends kind of told me, Miguel, stop! Don't don't you start?
2: (laughs) Well, yeah, there's no point. Well, don't do it to yourself, because I yeah. I mean, I if I remember it, it started to be like really hot, and then maybe on the Friday,
1: rain, and it cooled down a little bit. So. Some some light showers, which I I I wouldn't mind at a festival to be honest. I wouldn't mind any weather there.
2: (laughs) No, especially I mean, especially if it if it is as hot as I I remember it in the kind of on the Wednesday, Thursday.
1: Yeah. But I mean I think is what Jesse mentioned at the beginning, like lockdown sounds the perfect time to work at Glastocast. I think in the end, looking back now, uh, kinda I think we already reaching a point where kind of we're rethinking who, what you done in, during the lockdown? Who were you? What you were doing it? Uh, and I think maybe there was a pressure, or that wasn't a pressure, but maybe you should have learned yoga or learn how to bake, <laughs> bake sourdough bread. Start checking <laughs> off things off that so, things I want to do list. <laughs> yeah. So I, th- I think I think it's okay. We didn't record episodes during the lockdown. I think that's what I'm trying to say.
2: No, that's.
1: Uh, so for me, fair. maybe it was really like a sort of a break a forced break. So yeah, I didn't have anything special. I don't have, that's what I have. I'm just rambling about it. I can tell you, I did learn how to bake a banana bread. So that
2: happened. Uh, well, <laughs> that is one of my most favorite things as well. So maybe you'll have to make sure you get one of those ready.
1: I'll be bringing to Glastonbury.
2: That's too far away. I'm thinking <laughs> if we, next time we get to record in person, I'm expecting mm-hmm. there to be some banana loaf on the, on the table there.
1: Do you like the chocolate beets or walnuts? What <laughs> I'm joking.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> All the different
2: ones. All of the above. <laughs> All right.
1: (laughs) uh so yeah so what was really hard for me this year is that uh jesse you and i we kind of talk about this in previous episodes that we kind of were looking at 2020 of a way of to how to we were going to do some things differently we always say that Mm -hmm. doesn't matter how many times you've been at glastonbury every year is a different experience and you're always learning and after some things that happened last year are kind of like oh i need to do this differently next year 2020 Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i was i was actually thinking after being many years at glastonbury uh 2020. Apart from being the fifth anniversary of being a special year for the festival itself, I was looking at it as a turning point of my my relationship with the festival. And yeah, so that was that was was really tough for me during the weekend. How the cancellation of this year really got me in a different level in a way.
0: I think that was it. I w- I was kind of the same. I, you know, I had I had the glamping plans that I talked about last time in the last episode. And I, and I was really sort of going, right, this year I'm going to do Glastonbury for me. Like, I'm going to do it for me and I'm going to do it in a kind of exploratory exactly. word, exactly. way. Like, I'm always going to, like, turn up to the festival and face it as if I've never been before and do all the things that I, you know, I'm going to sack off traditions mm-hmm, I'm going mm-hmm, to Exactly. Go and do this. I'm going to go and explore and I'm going to look at it with fresh eyes. Yes. You totally know what you mean, Miguel. That's yeah. exactly what I was going to do. So it's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? To think, oh, now we've got to do that next year <laughs> yeah yeah you
1: just felt that it was the perfect year the combination of the celebration of the anniversary and maybe myself looking how to the some things differently and always learning and always having a different year at the festival yeah
0: this whole year is is let's just think of it as like a tiny blip it's a pause yeah. you know just we'll forget you know in 10 years time we'll have forgot it happened well maybe not I don't the year think year anyone's
2: gonna forget it. especially no, my friend because no, no. it was going to be my first time kind of not going on my own really I know and obviously no and lots of people and we meet up but I was actually taking my friend and it was going to be his first ever Glastonbury mm-hmm. oh. uh, so obviously we were planning it for ages, and I was telling him everything and he was listening yes yes in, yes and then it kind of just went ah oh. but I said I said to him mate You've, you've got your ticket. It's guaranteed. We don't have to worry about the stress of October. Let's just yeah. watch a few things on the TV. Uh, and rather than dwell on what's not, we'll, we'll look forward to what is. So, Jesse, how have you been spending the, the lockdown? What have you been up to? Well,
0: uh, I've been working from home since right at the beginning. Um, I actually got a new puppy. So that's been basically my entire kind of lockdown has been uh, so
3: training,
0: <laughs> training my little puppy.
1: It's his name, Michael Eavis.
0: No, 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 no. I mean, I was trying to think of a Glasgow name, but no, I've I've actually gone, her name's Mary. She's very cute. She's a little Pomeranian. But I'd wanted one for so long and then lockdown came and I kind of went, I think I need to seize this opportunity, like a lot of people. But that means that's kind of kept me busy uh, and she's amazing and we've been doing lots of training and it's been super fun. But obviously, as you guys know, like my entire summer revolves around festivals. Glastonbury is, you know, the main jewel in the crown of my uh, festival summer. But obviously I'm used to spending every weekend at festivals over the summer. And (laughs) I was thinking, I was saying to my friends, this is the first summer that I won't have gone to a festival since I was 16.
1: That's crazy. That is
0: crazy. 15 years that I've always been to at least one festival in the summer. So it feels so weird.
2: I guess we all know at least where your tent is at the moment. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, my tent in my
0: garage is probably getting mouldy. Yeah, so it's been a bit of a weird one um, for me. I mean, in a way, you know, I don't want to go into this too much. But the one thing is that it's actually been really nice to normally as i said every weekend i've got plans and somebody says to me you know oh what are you doing i'm like well you know what are you doing at the weekend it's kind of like oh how's october you know <laughs> is my <laughs> usual response but it's actually been really nice to kind of get to a friday and then somebody says like oh what have you got any plans for the weekend and i go you know what no i don't i'm gonna go to the park i'm gonna get a bit of sun obviously this was you know towards the end of when lockdown had kind of eased off a bit and we were allowed to get outside yeah. more but it's actually been nice to have that downtime as uh, as you guys both said, to actually sort of not be burning the candle at both ends and being constantly doing things. So obviously I'm in a very lucky position that I've been able to enjoy it. But yes, um, it's been okay.
2: So what about the, the actual, what would have been the Glastonbury weekend? How did you find that?
0: I'll be honest, I didn't find it, you know, it was actually quite a weird, sad week for me, obviously. I think, you know, seeing all the, the like, social media memories, how horrible are they? You know, you get know. those memories going like, would have... Would have set off to Glastonbury, do you know what I mean? Like, you get that one, the, the starting one that goes, oh, one year ago you were, you know, in my car convoy on the way to Glastonbury.
2: I suppose we all know what it feels like now to be the ones that don't get the tickets, you know, when everyone's <laughs> posting about Glastonbury and you think, oh, I wish I was you there. S-
0: you say that, Rob, <laughs> but actually this was a whole big conversation with my mates in that what was actually really the only thing that kind of saved me from it was that there was no FOMO. So, yeah. Nobody was at Glastonbury. <laughs> yeah so I yeah. was re- I was really sad. But I, at least I was thinking, at least I'm not home, and everybody <laughs> else is having a great time. <laughs> yeah, because they're, they're like that, I, I realize now that if I don't get a ticket, I would be a broken person because yeah, I was absolutely. almost a broken person. I think just the idea of being at home and seeing everything happening live would be awful. This year, at least, it was like okay. Well, at least nobody I know is like, you know, not just nobody I know, nobody at all. But you know what, the the, the stuff on the BBC really did perk things up a bit. I'll I i I'll be honest, I wasn't expecting loads from it. I thought oh, I'm going to have seen most of these sets before. But there were a lot of sets on there that, you know, I'd never seen. I didn't even know that they were recorded. You know, some of them were really old. Some of them were talking like early 90s that they had these like incredible recordings of that I'd never seen before. So So that did help, I think, being able to you know, feel feel a bit of the magic from watching it. And and these sets that you maybe have never seen before or going in, even I went into some of 2019 sets that, I didn't get to go and see, or I I didn't think we're going to be very good. And I thought, oh, let's go and watch them on the BBC and see. So it was a nice distraction. Obviously, it wasn't like being at the festival. No,
2: and I I don't think anyone would have suggested it would be. I mean, (laughs) But in terms of the coverage was fantastic, wasn't it? So, I mean, would
0: you
2: you say you watched more memorable sets in terms of the ones that you went to see? Or did you try and check out more sets that you haven't? Or was it pretty Um, even balance?
0: Uh, it's probably even balanced, but I tried to do more that I hadn't seen, ones that I hadn't actually even seen on the BBC before, because that's the other thing. A lot of the ones that I miss, I get home and I go, oh, I missed that. I'm going to watch <laughs> it on the BBC. So I tried to pick up ones that I just hadn't seen at all. But I think some of the like compilation, you know, on I think on the like Friday and Saturday, they did like at eight o'clock or something. They had like, they had one that was the legends and stuff. So they had like compilation programs on the BBC. They they were really good.
2: Yeah. Um. And of course, and it wasn't on... just the BBC either, was it? There was a lot of uh, different things going on. Did you? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. There were loads of live streams going on, which were really, really cool. Um, there was also, you know, Lost Horizon from Shangri La, like the week after, which was really
2: exciting. Cool. There was a lot from Glade as well. I mean, I must admit, that I probably spent yeah. more time on the social media side of it than on the BBC personally. But yeah, great stuff. There just seemed to be so much content.
0: Did you watch the bits where they did, like, the live from the farm and it was, like, Lauren Verne and a few other people and they were like, Stood in front of the empty pyramid with a. Few oh really? Cows, I'll, I'll, cows I'll be honest. It. I
2: I didn't. Did you not do that? <laughs> no, I missed oh. it. I missed them as well. Oh, oh, did
0: you not? No. Well, they did a couple of like live segments on BBC, and they were stood there showing the empty field. It was almost like I needed to see. That the fields were actually empty and yeah. it's just that, you know, <laughs> so that was really good. But the week itself, I mean, me and my friends just shared lots of photos and talked about what would have been and we, we we tried to make a nice time of it. I saw a couple of friends on the Saturday night for a barbecue in their garden, you know, sort of social distance kind of barbecue just to, I think I needed to be with Glasgow people, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I absolutely just felt like I needed to be around at least a couple of other people who who knew my pain. You <laughs> see what I mean? So so that was nice. We managed to kind of like sit in her garden and then like she had a TV set up just outside so we could watch her, you know, some of the sets and stuff.
1: You took the ciders out of the fridge the night before so you, <laughs> so you <laughs> were heavy warm. Make sure they were warm. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure they were warm.
0: No. I thought I, uh, we actually made use of the luxury of having ice and things, yeah, okay. which was probably God. a bit inauthentic, <laughs> but you know. Definitely. But yeah. So not not the fu- not the you know, it was never going to be the same as being there, obviously, and it was never going to be a joyful weekend. But I think no. we made the most of it, and you know, we, you know, it was really nice to reminisce with friends, but it's still quite a sad, sad affair. And how about you, Rob? You've heard from us too. Um, how has your year been so far? Has any, has much changed for you? And then also, Tell me about your Glastonbury at home weekend. My Glastonbury home
2: experience. Well, it, yeah. <laughs> it's been very strange for me. I mean, obviously things were um, all building in excitement, and uh, when we last saw each other back in March, and we we were we were really positive, and we were kind of you know ging each other on to stay positive, um, regardless of whether or not deep down we knew what was coming. But so I was really loving that vibe, and obviously it, you know it didn't go as well as as it could have done. And for me, as as kind of lockdown came in and you know things processes and procedures and all that got worse actually I got busier and busier at work to a point where I I didn't even have the Glastonbury weekend off in the end so I I didn't really feel like it was a Glastonbury weekend for me um whether it not even to a point where you know those years where you well you probably haven't experienced it for a while but the years when you don't get a ticket I mean I've had a couple of those and and I and I almost insist on working those weekends so that I'm absolutely as far away makes from the action as I possibly be <laughs> yeah. so the, the kind of the way I took it was I I cancelled my leave I went back to work um did what I know best and that's just kind of get my head down and work hard I did I did um dip into the coverage a little bit because like I said, I, I I was trying to keep that positive vibe going. So I watched a few um, of the bits and pieces. Uh, essentially, one thing that I, I thought I was going to do, and this comes back onto what you were saying a bit earlier, Miguel, about whether or not you should find, whether you're going to, I don't know, learn 12 yeah, yeah. languages because you're not going to work. <laughs> I I actually went got my hand back into DJ and, and uh, started doing like a... Uh, live streams for friends and and family, and doing it, yeah, Rob. doing a little bit of DJing, yeah. So wait, wait, things, wait, wait, wait. Rob DJ, n- not quite Rob DJ. So it it is it, it, Rob well, it's is not a DJ. Rob is a DJ. Oh, so. <laughs> Rob is a DJ. Rob is a DJ. Very much so. That's the plan, anyway. Uh, which brings me on perfectly because obviously play on you know, the faithless God is a DJ thing. I'm not suggesting I'm a God or anything or that. In fact, I'm very good at it, but, <laughs> <laughs> but Rob is a DJ works perfectly. So, um, and yeah, it started off as a bit of fun and it was something that I used to do, you know, many years ago, uh, but picking it up has been brilliant and it's been the perfect excuse. um, to be you know just playing music and yes we've not been it's not been in a live environment at all it's literally me stood in my kitchen but you know using social media and various different ways to to, that that make it possible to do it because not all the not all the platforms uh, are possible but there's that live that you can do live chats at the same time so I've been getting in touch with a lot of the people that I would have been seeing at at, at, at Glastonbury anyway so there's been lots of chat going on in the group chat and we've been doing all bits and pieces in it and you know what it was really 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 enjoyable.
0: It's really cool, Rob, because like you said last year that you know you had a really music year last year. I did, after, yes. At the I end, did, yeah. After the festival, you're like, I've had a really music year, and it's really kind of inspired me to get back into music. So exactly that. It's amazing and, that you've you've you found the time now. I've, to, I've followed
2: through to on it and, that. I, and I've jumped in with both feet as well, and I'm I'm not going to
1: stop. So Rob,
2: I've,
1: so so a question for you: if you could DJ at Glastonbury, which stage would you pick?
2: Ooh, great. Oh
1: great! <laughs> <laughs> um
2: gosh that is tough do you know what i think okay, i would right, I'd, I'd pick glade i'd pick glade, glade. oh yeah yeah i love that i love that stage i just love the environment in there a lot of like
1: my favorite djs that i've seen over the past few years have been in there so so follow-up question <laughs> so, okay, so okay you're gonna dj a, a glade at what time of the day or night do you see yourself being able to play now <laughs> uh probably i don't know 11
2: a.m on a Wednesday right, or something okay. <laughs> sound check that's it i'll have my phone just that you know make sure everybody brings a glass and make we'll make it a bit louder but you know who, who knows who knows
1: moving on to the last part of this episode we are very excited to share with you a conversation that jesse and i had with luke who's the creative director for greenpeace at Glastonbury festival it was such a pleasure to talk to him and get some insights on all the hard work that happens behind the scene to put out a fantastic field at the festival. Hello, Luke. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Miguel. How you doing? I'm doing great, mate. Thanks, uh, thanks again. Uh, we've been trying to get this interview done for some time now, but, <laughs> but now that we have our, our remote setup good to go, we can finally have a chat.
3: I mean, I've been having all sorts of problems with uh, it's just during COVID, all my tech has been gradually breaking and it's been a struggle <laughs> struggle, struggle to keep struggle to keep online. But we're, I think I'm back in business now. I
1: think uh, we've all had those problems. Yeah, it's, it's always when you when you need it most. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, great. So uh, Greenpeace is such an integral part of Glastonbury Festival. So we, we're really excited to learn more about this relationship. But first, if you don't mind, let's hear from you. Uh who are you what's your Glastonbury story how long have you been going to the festival if you used to go as a punter or you always work for Greenpeace just just give us the the rundown <laughs>
3: uh, <laughs> okay uh, i i've worked for greenpeace for an alarming amount of time um on and off probably for like 20 years i'm going to say wow. i i used to okay. sa- sail for them so i spent eight or nine years sailing all over the world buccaneering trying to you know like, impact on on environmental degradation, sort of slow slow it, slow the tide of it. And then subsequent to that, I came to work in London with Greenpeace for the last 12 years. And I I Mm. either... So I'm the creative director of Greenpeace at Glastonbury, and that's the sort of project that I run, and I do some other events for them. And then I also sort of, like, plan and implement their direct actions and sort of stunts and interventions for them in my other spare time. I think it's think like when the first time I went to Glastonbury was, I think I was 15... Yeah. And, and, my, and my trip entirely depended on my brother passing his driving test which was like the week before Glastonbury <laughs> uh, and he did pass it he did pass it and we drove down from Lincoln where I grew up small kind of rural place uh, so some people say Midland some people say North uh, on the East Coast and we drove I think it was like seven hours in a yellow 2CV and I, and I'll be honest I'm, I'm old enough that we jumped the fence when we got there I think we paid some, <laughs> guy, paid some guy and went through his hole or something I can't remember but <laughs>
1: <laughs> Love it but, but then you, you you kept going to Glastonbury after that? or
3: Yes, I, well, I went a few more times. But when I was 18, I 19, I up sticks and left the UK. I sort of like went traveling. And I didn't come back again until I was 30. So I had a fairly massive Ooh. interlude in my Glastonbury experience. <laughs> um, but when I got back to the UK, I did, I did start going again, more or less when I first started mm-hmm. working with Greenpeace in London. So I think I've done the last 12 festivals, give or take, apart from 2011 when one of my children was born and I I wasn't able to go. But I did have the honour, dubious honour, of my paternity leave finished on the Monday morning after the show. So on the Tuesday, I drove in to do the d rig, <laughs> but I'd missed every- I'd missed everything else.
0: <laughs> oh, that's the commitment. I love that. That's commitment. Um, yeah. <laughs> wait, you did you did you think you have done the last twelve, and then you had like a twelve year gap before then?
1: Yeah, something. And then like that, you that, did yeah.
0: three before that. That's yeah, that's a pretty impressive. You know, I guess like Glasgow. History. That's yeah, I'm, I'm impressed
1: by that. But then, from sailing with Greenpeace to creative director at glastonbury did this this was something you kind of chased inside the organisation, um, or kind of happened naturally. It's like an it's like a natural
3: progression, Miguel. Because I sort of, I mean, I like to think that. So I was always an activist. I was always an environmental yeah. campaigner. I was always a festival festival head, and then I, you know, like when you work with Greenpeace, you get an opportunity to develop your your skill set uh, mm-hmm. and you get resourced in a certain way that you're not in the grassroots. And I think like a lot of protest work is basically around creative comms. You know, it's like you're taking issues and trying to find, come up with interventions that highlight them and communicate them in a way that people find accessible and easy to understand. Ooh. And that's yeah. kind of also what we do on the field at Glastonbury. So it's kind of, it's a natural progression. It's I, I still see that what we do at Glastonbury as a form of action, basically as a form of protest and intervention it's communication it's taking challenging issues and breaking them down into simple forms and making them fun and interactive you know yeah. so yeah it, it wasn't a deliberate choice but i'm pretty glad that i landed on my feet every step of the way
1: excellent it's uh, really great to hear your story well let's ju- let's jump in then in the relationship of greenpeace with the festival uh, the greenpeace also just turned 50 so how did the relationship <clears throat> start? how did it evolve throughout the years
3: so Greenpeace is did is turning fifty. Some some conjecture about whether it's this year or next year. Glastonbury yeah. has has its fiftieth birthday this year, so it been cancelled. Mm-hmm. I think. I mean, I I'm old enough, but I wasn't there. It was 1991 that Mike Leavis wrote a letter to Greenpeace asking if they wanted to become involved in the festival, and they did and a guy called Bob Wilson, who's a really interesting, serious character. He went down to meet with Michael and then he, he got us involved. And ever since we've had a sort of different and growing relationship with the festival, I think at the beginning, I I think I could be wrong. I think that we had something to do with the gates. Mm -hmm. Um, and now, of course, we have like our own field, which is like a festival within the festival. And we have like a couple of little other bits and bobs that we do about the place. And we're sort of fully integrated into the festival family. And then we have the presence along with Oxama Water Aid of the sort of joint charities, which is something that um, we really enjoy participating in. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know all of the crazy early year stories. I mean, I have been told them. But I'm not going to repeat them in case <laughs> I'm wrong. But we're pretty proud of what we offer there now um and it's an amazing opportunity for us to communicate and outreach and participate and it's great for like our volunteers to be involved in
0: so so next year that means 2021 if you've got the dates right then that'll be your 30th kind of birthday of the of the relationship i guess
3: joe you know i hadn't even considered that but that is true it will be our 30th birthday wow. yeah and many, <laughs> and you know and it, it's just such an amazing Thing, you know, those numbers are amazing. So it's like I personally find it such an incredible thing to be part of. It's such a privilege, an honor to be connected to this kind of you know, inputting into this kind of massive cultural, globally iconic, you know, like mm-hmm. relevant kind of happening.
1: Uh, Jess, I think maybe you just kickstarted some changes on the planning for next year now. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah.
0: They'll be like,
3: oh, shite! have got to do something about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, love that. Slide, slide that in there somewhere. We need a big birthday cake. You know, it was a shame to miss. I mean obviously like there's been a lot going on and this is like there's been a lot of tragedy and difficulty in the world, but it what like I mean, I really felt Glastonbury wasn't when it when it was happening or when it wasn't happening I mean I was really like oh I really want to be there like where's all my fami- family and friends you know Yeah difficult. we had a
0: lot of blues. you know on that weekend it was it was difficult wasn't it girl? No absolutely <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was even harder for you guys who've worked there every year it must just feel so weird to I don't, not
3: I just, be there that... Do you know what I don't, the thing about Glastonbury is that so many people are involved in making it happen that you don't, you don't you, you know you don't get to claim to be like you know like oh it's worse for me because I like work there it's like it's so many volunteers that turn up and it's so many it's so many of the kind of mm. things that happen at the event are totally dependent on the protagonists that all the festival goers you know it's like, yeah we are one like massive kind of seeding mass of Glastonbury it's not like a us and them thing going on I love that
0: I love that um, <laughs> I'm glad you've made me feel a bit more you know i've I've had a ticket for 10 years and it makes me feel better that <laughs> it's not like no we're the crew we're you know we're more important That's
3: good. don't feel like that the only the, i'll be honest the only time i ever feel like that and this is a it's a sort of psychological thing around this this it's like on the wednesday when when everybody comes in i just feel a bit oh we've been here for ages and it's all been so special and, and now, yeah. now for us now for <laughs> now for us coming and it's going to get dirty you know yeah, 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 work, yeah, yeah. Work, so, work so hard to create this kind of beautiful thing and this and it's kind of you know, it's meant to get dirty. It's meant to kind of like be be ruined by Sunday, but just it's just a kind of hour or two, it's just like, oh no, don't touch it, don't touch it. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it's just uh, like up on the up on the valley, like you know, just watching people come in, going, oh, here we go. It looked so nice yesterday. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but you know give it give it until Wednesday evening we're just like yeah this is amazing You know, because <laughs> it is such I mean, an incredible thing to I mean when I I mean I, I'm there for like six weeks and I'm certainly not the longest person on site it's an incredible thing to arrive to a green field or like a collection of green fields and then set to working and then you see over the tree line other people scaffolding starts to appear or stages going up and we don't really leave because you're so busy and immersed in what it is that we're doing on our field you don't necessarily check in too much and then one evening you know like halfway through the build you might think oh, i'm just gonna go for a walk around and like bang it's all this kind of amazing stuff happening elsewhere <laughs> it's, oh, it's amazing
0: really... like one year i'm gonna get there for the build and i want to see it not all of it but you know it just <laughs> that's the one thing we always say in all of our all of our podcasts is that like you know it's all good being a punter but like being there to see the to see the build and sort yeah, of watch yeah. it go up must be so beautiful
3: i think the incredible thing about the build is that we i mean certainly on our field and i think the other fields are the same it's like it's there's always new people and new creative ideas, but there's also kind of a lot of people returning from previous years. So we have our own culture and community and family. So like in our in my in my field, we only really recruit new bill crew through friends of the current bill crew, and we yeah. have this kind of we have our own culture. of Kind of like people come into it and they're, they're part of it. Obviously, sort of mutually supportive. And then all these freelancers pick up work in other places during the year. It is good to be part of the build, but I must also say, in case anyone's listening that wants to get involved, it's also really good to be part of the D <laughs> <So, laughs>
1: uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> yeah,
3: Shouldn't shouldn't just run off after the show. It's like you've got to stay and complete the mission. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's your emotional journey. Arrive to a green field, build a city, have a massive party, do some political campaigning, you know, like see some incredible artists and acts and then like return it to a clean, beautiful, pristine farmland again at the end and everything packed up neat ready for the next year
0: i always think like maybe it, i don't know if i'd feel quite sad like packing it all away. i'd be like oh here you go but yeah you're right when you return it to a green field, it's sort of let would say that full circle feeling i like that so we we have quite a few people who who listen to our podcast you know when we uh this before the 2019 festival when we first started and we created like six episodes that were like a guide for people who'd never been to glastonbury before loads of people got back to us and said love this this was brilliant and it really sort of made me feel you know just more prepared for my first Glastonbury um obviously there was going to be a load more people that were going to have their first festival this year now that's been postponed to next year but my question to you is you know we're talking about Greenpeace here and the fact that you have your own field which is awesome you have your own area in the festival and as you mentioned it's known as one of the many festival within festivals. So if nobody if, if somebody's never been to Glastonbury before, never been to the Greenpeace field, you know, what, what can they find there? Why would they want to come check it out? I mean, obviously they can look on the line up and see, oh, there might be a band there that I want to see. But what other things do you guys have going on that
3: Yeah, I mean we so it's like a personal philosophy of mine and it kind of fits with I uh, was probably probably because I've like totally if you cut me open I'm like a stick of rocky I say Greenpeace, but it's like we're a field for doing so that you, can, you can come and have a shower. You can come and go on a climbing wall. We've got a giant six and a half metre slide you can go down. Mm-hmm. We've got a skate Ooh. ramp um, with lessons on it. So there's a, these are all, all sorts of things that you can come and do for free so you're not just like passively consuming the festival as you wander around. And then we also have Ooh. the stage. It's so like pretty impressive lineups these days. And then we have cafe, a bar. There's some giant some artworks, some sculptural installations. But basically what we see are rollers and then of course i mustn't forget that we have we're twenty four 24 hour field right so then we have the rave tree in the evening that's like a 24 Mm -hmm. and a half meter high steel tree that the canopy is made out of waste plastic and so so forth we're pretty pleased with that as well so we have some pretty kicking parties later in the evening Mm -hmm. but in the daytime you know we try to sort of phase our field so in the in the morning you can have a shower get a coffee and a pastry maybe read the paper or sit down and like talk to one of our communicators about kind of like issues that are prevalent to you like have a look around at some of the ex- exhibits that we've got, and for the rest of the daytime, we sort of try to divide the field into a couple of areas. So we've what called destination zones. That's so a stage uh, and the kind of fun and the acti- activity things that are happening. And then towards the back of the field, we have a kind of quieter area with art and like the um, opportunity to do screen printing of like t-shirts or uh, mm. talk to volunteers from Greenpeace about either what it's like to be an activist or what you know about climate change or what it is that you can do to help. So we. And also, I must say, it's like different every year because we pick a different theme and narrative every year, and then refresh the field to to represent what the issues are that we want to talk about. And we mm-hmm. use our features so for, as mechanisms of communication. So, for example, the, the slide, for example, that was born in a year that we wanted to talk about overfishing so, and uh, sort of the problems of the oceans. So we built a life-sized super trawler, like a sixty-four meter super trawler, in the middle of the field. Mm. And had a nightclub inside. Yeah, I was inside. going to say
0: that. I remember the boat. Yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. It had a nightclub inside. It It had a stage. Um, had like you could go, you could go up it and look out over the whole festival. And had like audio installations and stuff. It was pretty fly. And but at the back of it, it had a little hole. And it was called the bycatch slide. And if you went in this little hole, and I think actually this is like one of the things that I say to people is like, look when you're at Glastonbury, look for like the small hidden openings because they lead to some yeah. of the kind of best stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but it's mm-hmm. like, it was a small little hole that said bycatch inlet. And if you went into it then you got treated to this kind of incredible experience which is you crawled through these tunnels there's lots of electronic triggers with lights and sound and then you climbed up inside the scaffolding it was done out like a kind of giant children's soft play and when you got to the top of the oh. scaffolding, and you came out on the top of the ship you dressed up at the top of the trawler you dressed up as a fish and you went down the slide and that was a mechanism to, so you basically went on this sort of digital journey of being a fish and then you went down the slide and we Believe in the idea that if you can make people feel something, they're more likely to remember it than if you just tell them it or show them it. All we wanted to show people was that there's a thing called bycatch that comes from super trawlers and it's bad mm-hmm. because it's festival vibes. here. We don't get like too carried away and too detailed, too down and heavy on anyone, but we hope we hope that later when they get home and the word bycatch comes up in the newspaper or they get an email from Greenpeace, they might actually read it and engage with it. So we sort of try to lead people into like these issues rather than like ramming them down their throat. 'Cause come on man, we're at a festival. <laughs> yeah.
0: You know you just know that some guy in the morning has just sat around a tent with his friends and they'll be like, What did you get up to yesterday, mate? And he's like, Oh, do you know what? I went up to this hole in a boat and then like crawled <laughs> through the string yeah. And yeah. I climbed to the top of this ship and like dressed as a fish and yeah. went down the slide. And his mates are probably like, what? Nah. <laughs> and
3: because I the thing that. is that the, the, the beautiful thing about Glastonbury in particular, but kind of festivals in general, is that you can kind of get people out of their comfort zone and you can get people to, you know, because they're like feeling good, having a nice times. So you could get them to do things they wouldn't ordinarily do, such as dress as a fish and go down a mm-hmm. super slide, you know
1: amazing
0: yeah i love that i love that so did you did you design that because that was going to be sort of my next question is that you know you as creative director you know we know that you have like themes every year and then you base the fill you know the field around that so i remember you know you've got the polar bear and things like that and there's things yeah 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 so do you you know uh, do you design that every year so you get given the theme and then you go right okay what we're going to do this year we're going to build a boat or we're going to do this. Is that, is that your job? And then if so, how long before the festival, like how long do you have to design that? I'd love to know.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Firstly, I've got to say like, I definitely don't do it on my own yet. Like as a whole team. Yeah, of (laughs) of course. I work with, I have like a team of freelancers that I work with. Art directors, lighting directors, like a guy, like a bar manager, I don't know, like a, like a chef that runs the cafe, like, like an architect. There's loads of like a build manager. so all these kind of really important, critical people. You know, we have mm. to run the campsite. That's you know, we need um, 500 volunteers basically to run the field. So I definitely don't do it on my own. But I do, what I do is I sort of bring forward the ideas and design the processes that lead us to where we want to be, and I mm-hmm. curate. Like I mean my personal involvement is I kind of curate the stuff and I like, add the Greenpeace element and make sure that the politics are right and stuff. And I'll be honest, we we're still trying to work ourselves to what we've actually that's what we've been doing during COVID, yeah, is writing processes. It was like pretty boring stuff, but it's like, right, let's work, let's write it down once and for all how it is that we do it. <laughs> mm-hmm, we try, mm-hmm. try to write we're trying to write a manual basically so we can hand it over to other people. If yeah. we ever needed to, not that we want to. And then of course the other thing about the Greenpeace field, of course, is we have this slight advantage that we' get a huge amount of support from different people and different com- uh, companies like individuals in other companies so all of the stage lights we might be kind of gifted in kind by a higher company because they like they want to support Greenpeace um mm-hmm. or the trees like built for still I mean it wasn't free we was, spent some money on it but it was built like mm-hmm. by a guy that I really wanted to help as like a big engineering company uh it comes down to help us put it up so we kind of well, it's one of the reasons that we punch above our weight is we have all these different massive kind of creative um, and industry inputs to kind of bring forward the product. And that that, that really helps, yeah, because we have to do it, obviously we're a charity, yeah. so we're doing what we do on a, on a shoestring, basically. And we want to maximise, like, we get a really handsome donation from, from the festival of Michael yeah. most most years. We want to maximise that by spending not too much on the field.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, that's great that you get loads of people sort of pitching in. And obviously, you know, that. I know that if I was an artist, you know, I'd, I'd definitely want to be involved in the Greenpeace store over anywhere else definitely
3: I think that we're just lucky to have some of the people that come and work with us that we do and Mm. but so are all the other areas at the festival because I certainly don't think that we're unique in the sense that um, people want to come and do stuff for cheap during Glastonbury so I think the whole of the festival like I said before is constructed on all the people that are there and pretty much everybody that's working at Glastonbury right down right from the kind of headline act to you know me is is taking a like hit on their wages to be just to be part of it, yeah, and just to pull mm-hmm. it off, and then in turn, like all of that kind of generosity, that's what's enabling the festival to give this kind of like massive financial philanthropic kind of gestures to to like all mm-hmm. the charities that it supports. So, so like so all the crew are involved in sort of generating the the wealth that's like distributed to. Ec- to good causes from the festival.
1: Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Uh, would you say is it fair to say the biggest challenge would be to find the balance between providing this festival experience, but also creating engagement for activism?
3: Yeah, that's that's absolutely right, Miguel. It's like how far. So that's quite interesting, actually, from a creative point of view. Like yes. Since since I've been uh, like he- heading up that side of things, we've been on a on a journey basically. So we wanted to build an audience, and then we wanted to communicate with that audience. So I think in order to build it, it's taken a few years Yeah, So in order to build it, we've had to sort of deprioritize campaigning a tiny little bit mm-hmm. and like, and prioritise our re- finite resources and and fire our resources into kind of production values and to like building sort of slightly bigger set and to kind of like make it a bit more kind of, I don't know, kind of exciting and visually stimulating. And now that we've done that, we've got the rave tree and we've got kind of, we can retain an audience over the full duration of the festival, we feel like... You know, now we're really going to start back at the politics of it. So so we've like really developed ourselves. So so we try to kind of—it's like a—we're as much on a journey as the as the people that we're kind of trying to engage with, so that we can get to this kind of balance of like festival, fun, culturally relevant, politically relevant, like and then generate an activism you know like this year the cancelled year's kind of theme and hopefully it'll be our theme next year was like you know like if you ask i often get asked to someone who works in greenpeace it's like what is the thing that i can do to help save the climate you know and whereas in the past you might have answered you know like do you recycle and change your light bulbs, so on and so forth now and now i think like you know we're in a climate emergency like we've got like literally no time to resolve it so i think the answer is get out there and take action you know, get out there and protest basically you know because the solutions exist at a macro scale so the government's corporations they've got the solutions up their sleeve and they just need to be forced to deploy them you know it's like i never want to like drag people down and depress them while they're at a festival but at the same time like we are there to communicate this kind of critical urgent important message we just try to do it in a in a fun light-hearted way and let people take and and also be there and be available for like deeper and more meaningful conversations if that's what people Want to do because I think the amazing thing about Glastonbury is you have all these different audiences. You know, you've got you kind of you've got people like me that when I was fifteen when I first went down there, just like ah, <laughs> and and then you've got like the me now that's like pretty sedate and that wants to go around into like uh, green crafts and and, and and like make something or whatever. So it's like you know there's just all these different people. We've got these kind of younger audiences. We're trying to attract like a more more diverse audiences through like our stage programming. You know, like so like yeah, you know, it's all to play
1: for really. Amazing. Well, I think you're doing a great job. I must say. <laughs> Yeah, in, find, in finding this balance, but that's what I mean. Yeah, but it, well. but it is tricky because if you
3: get it wrong, you're just going to turn people off, and that's not what we're there yeah. to do. Yeah, no, it's, we do. We- I do that in other ways throughout the year.
0: <laughs> so, Luke, uh, in in the Greenpeace fields, like what? Um, obviously, you guys are doing everything possible to ensure that you know you run the field in a in a very green way. You know, the showers that are open to the public, and I believe they're solar. Um, but So apart from that, what what do you actually have within the field to make it particularly sustainable?
3: I mean, there's no sort of beating about a bush. Like a five-day temporary event is a difficult thing to make fully sustainable. But mm-hmm. there are nonetheless like a uh, bazillion things that we can be doing to drive down the, the impacts of the event and to make it sustainable. So we, for example, and all the other areas of Glastonbury, to be fair to them, and the festival itself we're not like super minded of this we have a design philosophy in my area where we have kind of thought through the entire process from start to finish and that means when we so we come up with an idea of a thing that we want to do that we want to make and then we determine what we're going to make it of and how we're going to make it so we use for, a lot, for mm-hmm. example a lot of scaffolding because that's like a hireable item so you're not, you're not like taking anything virgin and using it and throwing it away and mm-hmm. then we clad the scaffolding in in timber which we then decorate and paint or put paste-ups on and that that sheet material we we work everything out in dimensions around plywoods a bit boring for was like so sheet of plywood is 8 by 4 so we design everything in 8 foot and 4 foot dimensions so that we try mm-hmm. to cut as little wood as we can and then every year then at the end of the year we can stack it all back up we put it into storage and then we get it out the next year and you use it again uh, and then we also think about like how many how to store things so how much stuff can you fit on a van mm-hmm. um, how do you cut something to make sure that you're maximizing the use of that journey um yeah so 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 i have or we have on site at the moment as an area as a field we have four 40 foot articulated lorry trailers full of stuff and we have Mm -hmm. 150 giant pallets of stuff all of which is either materials structures like actual things that so the the tree is there yeah like it lives in the truck it comes out we put it back up we Uh decorate it again put different lights on it so the kind of idea is that you basically Put the same field up every year for the, for a few years, but you just make it look completely different with your scenic decor and your messaging. And mm-hmm. you can pick stuff up and move it around the field, but you're never actually really changing everything all at once because that's such a kind of huge material input. And then mm-hmm. we we look at like vehicle journeys. We look at like we've got like vegan catering. We try to run as much of the stuff on solar as we can, and then when we can't, we use to look for it like not burn to not burn too much diesel on the jennies. I mean, it it, it runs through everything that we do. It runs through everything that the festival does, you know. So we – I don't know, like our cafe is a really interesting example. So our cafe, we try to source all of the food from within 40 miles of the festival site where possible, and we try to pick it all up on the journey that the chefs make from London. So they try to drive through. And then the stuff that we – like stuff where we couldn't, so like, I don't know, olive oil, we – we went to Palestine and bought. we didn't actually go. We bought it from Palestine, and it got delivered by sailing ship. Wow! So, so we're trying to like be. I mean, it's not. It's not to be holier than that. It's to try to demonstrate that, that it is possible to run a business in this way and still turn a profit. And that's something yeah. that we're going to that the chefs are going to feed back in kind of symposiums to the catering industry, for example. So, you know, we try to use the field as a petri dish for like other, like pre-tangential, <laughs> like things that like places that we can make a difference in the world. It's a constant kind of conundrum how to make it more and more and more sustainable but yeah. we like I mean you look at Shangri-La they, they, they're building everything out of waste basically um yeah. they're, they're smashing it you know it's it's difficult but we are constantly minded about it I mean obviously that's like our primary motivation is to live sustainably uh, mm. and that's, that's for all the crew that are attracted to work for us because i mean like most of them operate on like voluntary or semi-voluntary basis because they're like backing the cause basically backing the cause so we have this kind of we have like a whole philosophy um and we I, I mean i have like a storage unit where i spend all year kind of collecting other bits of scenic salvage and then in our design process we we sort of sort of take a look at like, oh, what have we got okay we've got mm-hmm. perspex we've got a load of perspex off that guy that was throwing it away brilliant let's make light boxes. You know, so mm-hmm. this year the field will have a load of light boxes on it with words on it because that's the that's what we found in the skip basically. That's what we're going to make it out of. We do have like some new material inputs, but but as little as possible.
0: It's amazing. I just love the level of detail you go into and like you know, especially you know, just things like the the olive oil and the and the chefs driving down for London. I love that. It's, it's
3: amazing. Yeah, you know, the, the showers they are. We get um, loaned a wood pellet boiler to heat the water
1: yeah and then we yeah. saw
3: sustainable wood pellets and then now we're thinking like maybe actually that's kind of not 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 fit for purpose anymore so we're looking at we are now looking at solar and like uh, uh what they call ground source heat pumps but obviously oh, then really? we need to go to michael even to be like michael we need to dig a massive hole in your field. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's always super supportive yeah because he himself is like a massive environmentalist yeah like i mean the things that he i mean okay it's a dairy farm yeah but the th- the things that he's done on his dairy farm are like totally amazing he's got like a methane collector from like the from the from the cow dung yeah which is then used to like power the farm mm-hmm. but, you know like i mean th- that guy is like all in you know it's like so he was like totally early adopters of solar panels you know i mean i'll give you an example last year we went to him and went michael we want to install a sort of semi-permanent sculpture in the field and we want to connect it to your beehives via the internet and we want to turn it into kind of live like audio visual (laughs) like immersive kind of like experience people are going to like sit inside the sculpture and uh, like the the audio trick. it's like with this artist called wolfgang Butcher, a totally amazing guy and it's like all and and the activity of the beehive is going to trigger like all the audio and visuals in the in this kind of area and he was just like, yeah, totally amazing. Just get on with it. And he gave us mm-hmm. uh, he gave us like so much support. You know, like we get the, mm-hmm. like you what know, people don't understand about, or maybe don't isn't recognized or shouted loud enough about Glastonbury is that but the very, very core of it are some farmhands, just this team of incredible, hard-working farmers. And they, mm-hmm. they spend some of the year farming and the rest of the year just putting in giant logistics for a yeah. festival. But what they also do it's like they build Sculptures, right? <laughs> I mean, we like what I had a hand in building it, and I had a crew to build it. which was an incredible amount of support from from basically the local kind of agricultural community because I oh, mean, chainsaws and sticks. I mean, we need like a mini digger with an auger bit to drill like 8,000 holes. And like, they yeah. just like, Michael's just like, yeah, I'll, set, I'll send the farms down. In the <laughs> oh, and maybe. to be honest, I mean, at one point they said to me, "Like, it would be better if you weren't here. We just do it on our own." <laughs> Which <I> totally appreciate.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, even even after years of going to Glastonbury, I'm still amazed about the size of it, and I cannot even grasp uh, what it goes into the planning and building the festival every year. It's just amazing.
3: I don't know if there's any one single person that really knows. Like everything yeah. about how to do, how to do it, <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's just too complicated. There used to be a yeah. guy called Phil, Phil Miller who, who very sadly um, passed away, but I think he's about as close as ever come to really knowing everything.
1: Mm-hmm. I
3: mean, <laughs> apart from Mike, apart from Michael and Emily, obviously. But I mean, you know, like, I mean, you're building a city in the countryside. You, you put in, you're putting in sanitation. You're running water. You are running an entire power distribution yeah. network. You yeah. are. You've got like medical facilities, you've got like safety facilities that need check. You know, so it, it's like an endless amount of, it's just an endless amount of stuff to support people in this alternative world, almost just to prove that you can, you know. I don't mean to prove that it's physically possible to build a city in the countryside. I mean, like, that, you know, that, that, that is determined like i mean like tragically that's determined endlessly like through when people when people are like forced off the land or whatever globally but i mean i mean it's just the idea that you can you can set forth and build an alternative society and an alternative model and you can for a few days demonstrate that actually do you know what it doesn't have to be like this there are other ways of being and i'm not suggesting that we all spend the rest of our lives like you know drinking cider and staggering around in a field but i'm just (laughs) i'm just saying i'm just saying you know like the the compassion the kindness the empathy the the unity the fun you know like it's that's what life could be like you know and it could be more you know um fairer you know more equal you know greener that's 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 the world we're pining for, right? And I just feel like Glastonbury mm-hmm. like a kind of annual... You know, there's a couple of other things in the world, but it's like an annual reminder that it's possible if you just cling on to your dreams and go at it every year like Michael Leavis does.
1: Amazing. Wow, really well said. though. I got a bit emotional. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, <me> too. Yeah. <laughs> I did like, too. I, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> have anything to add because I was just absorbing your words. And that's how all
3: of our crew feels, yeah? That's why they come back year on year. And I'm sure mm-hmm. that's how all the other crews feel. And that... You know that that like um, that's what I mean when I say it's a complete privilege to be a part of history. It's like I know that since the beginning, there's been people that felt as proud and privileged and passionate as me about getting the job done. And, yeah. and a couple of years ago, like twenty, whatever it was, when it just like rained, 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 rained. Oh God, it was awful. I was still, you know, and all of, like events were being cancelled left, right, and centre. And you, you know, nobody drove on the grass like mm-hmm. people people kind of understood what to do like we like we, we have this whole thing on my build field where we're like you've got your public area in your, your crew area and you're not allowed to drive a vehicle on the public area you're not allowed to walk too often in the same place on the public area we try to kind of like grow the grass while we're at the same time as we're building the field mm-hmm. we want like flowers and clover for the wednesday when we open it uh which is really super difficult when it's raining here because the whole thing just goes to mud Mush, really quickly yeah. and um yeah, so we like pull down pallet walkways, move them at lunchtime, like move them again late afternoon, so that we're not like, the, and um, and that level of care and attention, I think, is going on all around the farm, and that's what makes it so beautiful to be a part of. Yeah, and then and then the other thing is like when the volunteers come, like the big influx at the end of the traders or the other people that contribute to the festival, you know, like it, when the, when the recycling teams roll in, and it starts to build and build and build over the kind of like week before the festival. It's just suddenly so, then you so, you think like, oh, it's like I've been here like a really integral part of it. And then you see the scale of it. And even though, even having been involved for like a you know small number of years now, it, it, it still surprises me every year, like how bloody big it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just like how many people have come and how many people have contributed. You know, it's like, uh, you just see kind of festoon lighting going off forever into the distance. You If you ever like walk up to the top of the park or something and look, it's like, wow. It's like,
1: yeah. Jessie never been up to the park. <laughs> oh.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, just, oh God. No,
1: but but the... I share your wait, feeling. Wait I, know what, I, I know what you're talking about. <laughs>
0: right. Miguel, firstly, to clarify, I have been to the park. Come on, not... What you're saying is I haven't been to the sign. Yeah, yeah, so uh,
3: yeah. I've been to the sign. Well, it's, it yeah. is a bit of a commitment, but it's worth it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, it's just like a running joke along these podcasts. That yeah, yeah. Keeps <laughs> Basically, every time it's because I'm a punter, I get there on the Wednesday. I'm like, right, I'm going up to the sign. At about 4pm on the Wednesday, I get to the bottom of the hill. I've already had about eight siders and I look mm. up at it and see so many people up at the top of the hill and I just go, you know what, nah. And then I turn around and go <laughs> the other way. I just feel but like you need to wait there day,
3: a little bit. Someone will go past in a buggy and you can just hitch a lift.
0: <laughs> that's Yeah, I mean, that's it. Uh, when I used to work, work for, um, I did a bit of volunteering for Oxfam, not at Glastonbury, but for almost every other festival. And like the, the, the best job was being on the tea buggy. And then once you'd been on the tea buggy once, it meant whenever you saw it going round, even if you were off shift, you'd be like, guys, have a little lift. I probably <laughs> didn't say that, say that on the podcast. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Just find a buggy and jump on. That's, that would be the best plan. Right. Uh, so we, Luke, we always ask everybody this. Uh, and it's I, I think in, in your instance in particular, it's going to be really, really difficult to pick one out because you have such a wide range of, glastonbury history you know um but let's say if you ha- if you had to pick a favorite glastonbury memory and maybe that's to do with greenpeace or maybe it's not or, or maybe you have a separate favorite greenpeace field memory um anything <laughs> so listen, you can tell
3: us i mean like the thing you need to know about me is like, like i i'm incapable of favorites i don't have a favorite color like <laughs> I <laughs> I love can't do favorite. but i can i can give you some highlights and then probably tomorrow i'll think differently about it i think my I mean, there's so many, yeah. such an incredible place. There's so many kind of, like, really cool... F- I mean, I don't know. like I find, like, it's, it's what, what watches Stevie Wonder, like, Beyoncé. I don't know. Uh, but I think probably the thing that most ever blew my mind was the first time I ever saw Arcadia, which is mm. like, the, the first year that they did it, uh, up in Naughty Corner the, like the... And um, just never seen anything like it, yeah. So it totally blew me away. Um, and it still blew me away, to be honest. Like, what a lovely yeah. bunch of people. My... Favorite festival. I don't know if it's my favorite, but I like one of the. There's like a lot of like sort of history connected to Glastonbury, right? And I'm really sort of. In, I really love being having access to that, and being part of it. I think. I once the first time I ever went to what's called a management meeting, which is in the Work Events Club, which is a place that Michael Leavis built in Pilton. It's like a post office, local pub, snooker table side, so it's kind of a really amazing place. And the first time I ever went to a management meeting, it totally blew my mind to find out it was literally just a group of farmers, like like a load of old dudes, like total you know I don't know I don't know what I expected, but it wasn't what I got. And it's so they were so warm and welcoming and uh-huh just really felt like instantly apart and it's this fucking amazing thing just met that like extraordinary thing done by beautiful but ordinary people you know and then I, I don't know the first time I went to the emerging talent contest that was totally amazing and then having a look at the archive and sort of rummaging around I remember one time So it's like been a journey yeah working with Greenpeace and to had to like reset a few things and then it turns out that the Greenpeace field had a, a really bad reputation with the people that paint and distribute the bins at glastonbury who are super important right folk right yeah, I mean, like, bellies, we're all aware yeah. yeah. like, the famous mm. glastonbury bin bin painters so mm. I, I went up to see this guy called hank the bin who <laughs> is like i mean he's like a like this guy's been around since forever yeah he's a total icon a total legend amongst the crews and he's in charge and has always been in charge of painting all the bins. In fact, he might well have invented the concept. I don't know. He might have he probably invented the concept of the glassery bin. I mean, anyway, I just like go to see him. he has got like a tent up on the hill. I didn't know what to expect. So I was going to go to kind of ask for some, can I have some bins please during the build? I hadn't been put out yet, but we were like making a mess and we were struggling to manage our recycling. And I, I was really nervous, right. And I said, go, go, go. <laughs> went up there and took my friend with me. So I He's like, hey, come with me. I can't do this on my own. And uh, we yeah. went up and we opened the doors to this tent. And it was just totally fucking mind blowing. There was just a load of like, kind of young artists sat round in this kind of old army tent, big old kind of army canteen tent, all painted bins, and it's just a like really beautiful. The whole thing sent of smell of incense, and you know, maybe there was a few thousand splits going around in there. And just just at the end of this kind of, it was like kind of like a movie set, yeah. And it's just mm-hmm. at the end, like in the dappled sunlight, was just like. There's Hank the bin, you know. So <laughs> it's, like, it's like really like amazing sort of Gandalf looking guy, like really wow. sort of sage. Just like, I went up to him, really, like, "Oh, Hank, hi, man," I'm like, "I'm Luke from Greenpeace," and like, here, "Here, like, there's a bit of beef," but like, you know, just let you know that, like, you know, we take we take you take recycling take so really serious. And like, Do you reckon we get a couple of bins, mate. And he's just sort of like, he never spoke. He just sort of pointed to a pile of like immaculately painted bins. Just sort of, <laughs> and it was like, yeah, you, know, you can have four bins or whatever. It's, like, I just like. Uh, you know, I just felt like I have arrived in the kind of like somewhere in the Glastonbury infrastructure. Like, this is it. If you get access to Hank the <laughs> Bin, you're like, you that's it. You're kind of in,
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're in the, yeah. You're in the inner circle. He's yeah, spoken yeah, to like, Hank the Bin and he's bestowed
1: some bins on you. I, there d- you I don't
3: think they, I just don't think they'd let anybody in that tent. You know, <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. it was the I beginning of the truce,
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it is, and now, yeah, that's right, yes. Yeah now now we like have a, a, an artist called Hannah Bunn who's one of the kind of like top bin painters mm-hmm. who's who's mm-hmm. committed to like doing some kind of special themed bins for our field so we have like really built like that's the level of detail we're going for yeah it's like we're trying to kind of like make excellence from uh, across like everything has to be integrated right down to the kind of bin what you see on the bins yeah I love that oh. special <laughs> bins.
1: great Brilliant. story great story <laughs> So, look, so, of course, this year has been challenging for everyone. Uh, so just so if you want to quickly talk how I was dealing with the cancellation, if you can give us a, an idea, if you were, how far were you in the planning for this year, if you're going to roll over for 2020? Well, I mean, you already told us that you have everything in the field and you kind of just adapt. But anyway, if you just want to talk to us about that.
0: Yeah, whatever you can tell us, we, we don't want you to give away any big secrets or anything. But... No, that's okay. That's okay. So the
3: thing, I mean, I, I mean sort of the truth of the matter is that we we're fairly far along with our kind of field development for this year. We had, we, we pretty much had it in the bag, and we were just absolutely devastated, like along with everybody else, that the festival was cancelled. Or I mean, although to be fair, that's the least of the worries, like at an international level, and like, yes. so, you know, so there's a lot yeah. more going on or whatever. But uh, nonetheless, like a personal level, it's very catastrophic. And um probably the worst thing that happened to me personally is the result of COVID. But um I mean nothing's really gone away yet. We we're, we're living in these really strange times. Mm-hmm. Like we're trying to adapt, we're trying to kinda of normalize or whatever. But the thing the thing about the whole kind of coronavirus meltdown is that it everything that existed beforehand still exists yeah so climate change still exists yes. like the kind of refugee crisis still exists it's like all of this mm-hmm. shit's still going on and we still have to take it on so i think that next year coming back last to i mean we're just going to pick it up where we left off to so, i mean we did a big review process as part of so when the when when the show was cancelled and we booked all these people i didn't want to let them I don't want to like, throw them out of work yet. So these are people that oh, are yeah. heavily, 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 heavily invested in Greenpeace in the project. So we decided to set to to use the time that we'd booked them for to review all of our processes, and all of our designs, and make sure that we like we're doing everything as well as we could, which we knew that we weren't because we're in a constant state of development anyway. And obviously, one of the outcomes of that is that we 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 finished the field design with an idea that we'd shelve it, and that would save us money and time and give us flexibility. Like as to, to when the next festival is, is it going to be like next year or, you know, we don't, nobody knows what's really happening. And, but obviously a part, so we did do that, but a part of doing that is that you realize that what you're doing isn't as good as it could be. So then we got carried away ourselves and we've actually redesigned an entirely new field as well
0: <laughs>
3: for next year and a couple of other spare ones for the back pocket. And then it was like, you know, like we, our stage for example is in the middle of our field and that's really good in terms of drawing an audience, but it's really bad in terms of production Cause it means mm-hmm. you can't, like how do you get, how'd you get the artists to the stage? how do you get the gear to the stage? It's like, it's just an island in the middle. So we've, we've been looking at ways to improve our kind of health and safety and back of house processes. And just to make things kind of more, I don't know, like better, but cost less money. That's, that's mm-hmm. where we're going. Like, <laughs> I just want, I want people to have a better experience. I want the festival to be more and more yet, yet more incredible or the Greenpeace offering to be yet more relevant, but at the same time, I want to make it even more sustainable, like more efficient, like um, less stressful for me and the team to deliver, you know, uh, to continue to have these kind of meaningful conversations with the audience. So to, to always offer something to your existing audience and to also continue to like try to meet new people and engage new people in what it is that we want to talk about through diversifying our cultural offering, diversifying our musical offering, you know, mm. d- diversifying our crew, like, like, like you know, like joining the joining the anti-racist fight quite, quite wholeheartedly. And that's the future, you know, and that, that's I think that's the future for the festival as well, if I'm honest, it's like to keep doing what it's doing better than it already does it, which is totally incredible, obviously. And mm. also to just endlessly come up with, like, reinvent yourself and do new things here. I think the thing that's got kind of special for me about Glastonbury Festival is that even though it, like, in the journey that I've had with it, is that even though it is a different beast than the thing that I first attended as an impressionable young person, <laughs> is it's still also that. It's still special. It's still mm. free. Like, okay, you can't jump in for free anymore, or like, it's diff- more difficult to do it. And there's like, you know, you know, I have to give you like ID to come in. And like, I understand that people have issued that sort of stuff, but that, like, I mean, that, that stuff has to exist to become a licensed event that's responsible for the health and safety and welfare of the, of the people that go to it. It's so absolutely mm-hmm. critical and no one should be ashamed of it. And, uh, and what they've done such an amazing job of is, re- is retaining the spirit and the meaning and the purpose of the event. Mm. And you know like, to all that just sort of reject out of hand, all the naysayers who's like, oh, I don't want to go anymore. Cause it's like not what it used to be. And I, and I say, It is what it used to be, but it's just a modern version of it. And, you know, it's got to move with the times, otherwise it wouldn't exist. And I think that that's what, like, Michael and his team should be most proud of, really, is that if you did jump the fence, nobody would really care. In fact,
1: (laughs) you know, um,
3: not that I'm encouraging people to do it, but it's like it hasn't lost that spirit yet. And there's, uh, there's a lot of the old heads still about. And there's always room for new people, and that's what it should be, yeah? It's like, I just... I, just think I mean, I'm look just... at you. you,
0: you went from jumping the fence to basically, you know, yeah. running a field in a festival, designing a field in a festival with a team. So, you know, you started with just, you know, young whippersnapper who went, oh, let's go for a party in the field and let's jump over. Yeah. And you, it, it, it pulled you in so much that over 30 odd years, you've gone from that to... Being uh, so the, involved that you basically, you know, design a design, design an entire area.
3: I was just going to say it's only twenty eight years, <laughs> sorry,
0: sorry, years, Sorry, sorry, twenty eight years. <laughs> sorry, sorry.
3: But yeah, but exactly yeah. that, exactly that. You know, and it, and, I, and it still draws me back. So I've had some know. people
0: say that to me, sort of going, "Well, it's not the same as it used to be. It used to be this, you know, hippie fest and all this kind of thing." I'm like, but you know, I mean, I've been going for ten years and I've seen it grow and get what what the work, you know, what an outsider would say, bigger. I don't know how much physically bigger, as far as numbers go. I think it might have only grown by sort of twenty thousand people, maybe over that time. But definitely, the fields have got bigger. Uh, the area has got bigger.
3: That's right. The fields have got bigger. Yeah. If I look at what the what our field was doing ten years ago and what we're doing now, mm. it's it's kind of it's kind of the same. Like we're still just turning up to talk to people and have a good time um, and raise mm-hmm. some important issues and try and raise a bit of revenue, so on and so forth. But but we're doing it in a really much more serious way but then mm. it's worth it because the outputs are greater as well and actually and i'll be honest it's like if you want to if you want to be at the greatest party in the world you better turn up you know it, because that's what makes it the best party in the world it's like it's, mm. it's not a competitive creative arms race but nonetheless mm. it is like a friendly like everybody's pinching ideas off each other and like you know the bar mm. just gets higher and like the, the you know my like, like crews just get more solid and like it's like you become more inclusive and therefore, it just gets better and and better and better, yeah? And uh, I mean, like like all creative processes, there has to be, like, decay and, like, whatever. Like, things have to go and new things have to come. But but in mm. essence, like, the trajectory of the festivals... I mean, you think about it, I don't think, like, 12 years ago it was selling out. And now it's selling out in half an hour, yeah? Like, year on year, yeah. people expect that to happen. And so you have to... Like, it has survived some incredibly challenging times as well as an event. And mm. Michael and his team are just, like, super resilient for, like, pulling it off over all this time. And mm. I'm sure, like, as difficult as... The cancellation must have been for them financially, and like what the implications have been. To like, I mean, my friends in the freelance freelance events industry is this is just pretty catastrophic. Yeah, but I am sure that we'll be back. Like, hopefully next mm-hmm. year, and our adaptability and our resilience will will hold us through. Yeah, and we'll hold yeah. the festival the festival through. If it came down to it, like we'd all go down and do it for free. I'm sure. You know,
1: when we were talking about building the field, but also creating engagement, I think you said that maybe recent years you were focusing more in the festival part and now is back to politics. So you would you say the context of the current situation next year demand exactly that?
3: Yeah, 100%, Miguel. You know, it's – I mean, campaigning work, which is like what I do through – First and foremost, as I'm a campaigner, is you 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 got to like select a group of people you want to talk to, like nuance your message in a way that makes sense and relates to them, and then you got to like go at them and ram it down their faces, you know, either through like fun critical engagement or through intervention or do you know, whatever, whatever. Um, and th- that's the kind of cyclical process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, yeah, hundred percent, absolutely. We are at a time of process where it really matters that people understand that there's not a lot of time left in terms of climate change that they have to leverage the compassionate response and the community led response that we had to the kind of coronavirus petal that we have to the coronavirus pandemic. I mean, if you look at the response from a government, from like governments around the world to the coronavirus, that's what dealing with an emergency looks like. Mm -hmm. And you've never seen that with climate change and we need to see it. Yeah. We need to see that from every single person who like all the people, like we all stayed home, right? We all did what needed to be done to get through it. And because we cared about each other and we were invested in each other and we need to do the same about climate change. And that's certainly the message that I'll be bringing to the festival next year, that we, the Greenpeace will bring us the festival next year. You know, cool. there's really no time to waste. It's like, you know, like, like Greta Thunberg was saying today, it's like, you've, you've wasted another two years. Yeah. Like I've been campaigning on this shit for 25, 30 years. Yeah. It's like, I'm getting bored of myself talking mm. about it. Um, and it's just, we're you know, like I've got children. Yeah. We've running out of time. I don't want to be alarmist, but like, Christ on a bike yeah we are running out of time to get on a deal with this stuff and hopefully you know like the, there's an opportunity to leverage the community and kind of like wherewithal and collective intelligence from a festival audience so they then go to go back and I think the other interesting thing about Glastonbury for Greenpeace is of course that you reach so many more people than just the people that go to the festival so like you have all these kind of media opportunities you go to the BBC you know like there's the internet like you probably reach a, like. Millions of people, which is what, for example, like when Glaston was cancelled this year, and I was a bit like, ah, oh, God, what I'm going to do is to help Greenpeace kind of raise a bit of money and get a bit of profile and keep the campaign rolling? Yeah. So I thought, like, oh, let's do a digital event then, which I'd never done before, like total learning curve. Like, I mean, I, I, I had someone helped like me and my friend Katie, who's a, another kind of key Greenpeace person in the Glastonbury Project, Katie Duffy. We met an agency and they supported us with it and this guy called James is our stage booker it was totally amazing James Barnett totally amazing and then we brought forward a digital event and that's a, now having done that as a response to COVID I think we're going to try to include that in our day-to-day Glastonbury offering next year I yeah. um, so that you can reach beyond just you can use the festival it's an incredible opportunity for Greenpeace and Oxford and Waterway to reach beyond who's at the festival and to reach the kind of millions of people that are engaged with the festival yeah. through other forms of media while it's going on and actually probably got an audience that I like, I don't know, 15, 20 million people there, which so you could do something with that, yeah? That's like, if you can go I think, into you all know, that...
0: with that as well, like, the one thing we noticed this year is that I, I think the fact that the festival didn't happen this year and people were, you know, tuning into whatever footage there was, yeah. people, were, people were starting to realise that it's not just the BBC footage, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's so many other places to Glastonbury and if you guys had, like, a digital element, there would be people who would be Scrubbling for that because yeah, and I think that's you know, what all the areas have realised. Hundred
3: percent. So I, the, I mean, I understand why the BBC do their coverage as they do,
0: but, yeah, they, but
3: there's a story that's not being told there, which is of all this other stuff at the festival. I mean, you know, the Shangri-La's the unfair grounds, the kind of hidden art installations in the green fields,
1: yeah, mm-hmm.
3: Arcadia. You know, like there's just a bazillion. Like, I don't know, like mini school sound, like t- just totally amazing. All the theatre and circus totally mind blowing. Uh-huh. you know um no, none of that i mean it's, i don't mean i don't mean i'm not criticizing the bbc i'm just it's just a, a relevant it's like none of that is represented in that coverage and mm. you, i guess that you already have to be at the festival to kind of see that sort of stuff probably what all the areas have realized like i've my me and my team definitely realized we can broadcast this uh we can reach more people we can make mm. well, we, we were talking the other about Sort of making like digital games that were like affecting like what happened on the field. So if you if you're at home in kind of Manila, and your favorite band was on, you could somehow kind of do something that would like show up on the field or whatever. So we could try to connect all these audiences and make, make people realize that like like Greenpeace is a global organization. We can make people realize that Glastonbury is like a global. You know, like we're all connected basically. And to solve the problems that we face, we're going to need to like leverage that connection and community. And compassion and empathy. That, that's also like probably how we're going to like one of the ways it's about like, like connecting with each other as people mm-hmm. and like recognizing each other's stories and then taking our own responsibility for like what's going on and, 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 and trying to drive change.
0: Brilliant. Yeah, I can't wait for that. I think that would be. Just being able to get those like smaller areas of Glastonbury out to people, because that's the main conversation I have with anyone who's never been. Yes, and they go, yes. Oh, you know, it looks good on the telly. I'd probably go and see so-and-so on the pyramid stage. I'm like, that's not what it's about. But and the thing always, is that... I like, the... want to shake them and go... Oh. Yeah,
3: ex- exactly. But the, the what the BBC did, do do is they... Do an incredible job of representing these incredible artists who are doing amazing oh, yeah, performances. And that like yeah. but but on top of that, there's a red button, dude, and like on oh, a blue button yeah. maybe and that like, <laughs> depending on which one you press, you could gonna go down a different yeah. rabbit hole, you know, quite literally maybe.
0: <laughs> It'd be amazing if you could do some sort of live streaming bits there uh, some next year for Actional areas, kind of, you know, version yeah. two or whatever. Actional areas. I think it'll
3: be version three by then, because we've got another thing in the pipeline for later in the year. But, yeah. Ooh. That's, oh, uh, I heard it here first. Yeah, you did hear it here first, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, okay. This has all been amazing. It's been so, so good to speak to you. And, honestly, I could listen to you talk about Glastonbury and grievous for hours. But we'll just finish on one thing. Um, you sort of mentioned in various, you know, answers to other questions about, you know, what we can do and, and how important it is people to get out there and, And show their activism with with protests or whatever. Um, But I mean, outside of the festival, if you could sort of summarize, what's the best way if one of our listeners wanted to get involved with Greenpeace or, you know, wanted to really push their sustainability this year or? Well, listen, getting kind of resources or
3: getting involved with Greenpeace is super easy. Just go to the website, Mm -hmm. click on uh, get involved, and then I think there's six or seven drop down options. You know, you could. I mean, I'd recommend people to go to the local group meeting. So if you're living in a reasonably major conurbation. There's gonna be a Greenpeace group in your area and like they're nice people, they're gonna be meeting in a kind of inclusive and safe space. You go along and meet them, see what you can do. You can through that, that might lead you to activism, that might lead you to sort of communicating campaigns in different ways, like street stalls or sticker in. You can become a green speaker, so we'll train you in how to go into sort of schools, or those sort of places and talk about these issues. Uh, as I said, some loads of different ways you can get involved in Greenpeace. You can sign up to do, take direct action straight off the bat. And then you'll end up, you'll do a training in non attraction. You'll meet someone like me and uh, I'll tell <laughs> you to do something naughty, but, but valid and legitimate. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, you know, changes that you can make in your own life. I mean, I really, you know, we should have, we should, to be honest, we should have all made by now the changes that we need to make. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell someone to like not, not hop on a short haul flight to France. That's not, that's not what I'm here to do. <laughs> but like, if you really want to drive change, you have to force the government and corporations to do it. And the only way to do that is by taking, by, by, by taking action of some sort, so that could be like you could take action on the internet, you could you could join. I mean, I, you know, you could, I hate to say it, but you could join an XR protest, or you know, there are other other groups apart from Greenpeace available. If like environmentalism isn't your primary concern, you know, like if you've got like other other issues that are more confronting for you in your day-to-day life, then you know, there's chats to be had about the intersectionality of struggle. Uh, about you know like I mean I think like for example Black Lives Matter that, that, you know like the, the struggle against institutional racism is paramount um, but incidentally mm-hmm. it's also a paramount paramount sorry um, part of dealing with climate change because climate change for example is inherently racist yes yeah? like we polluted the north mm-hmm. and the, the problems are first suffered in the global south you know like air pollution in London is is, is worse in, in poor areas and in poor areas that you, you're going to find like significant populations of black and ethnic minority people. So it's like the, there is an intersectionality of issues. And mm-hmm. you, if you're campaigning on something that is more relevant to you, there is still room for like uh, including climate change in that, because in the end, climate change is the thing that connects us all Yeah, in, in our struggle. Mm-hmm. It's the thing that we'll all die of in the end. <laughs> if we don't sort <laughs> it out Yeah, Sorry, to, sorry, to, sorry to be down and gone. <laughs> no, I, uh, no, no, that, no, 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 we need it.
0: That's,
3: that's, that's, the, that's the, that's the truth of the matter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, we have to build a greener, fairer, more sustainable world, yeah, and a more equitable world. And we, and we you know, just, just like I can't stand by any longer without actively thinking long and hard and then taking action about what I can do to challenge kind of structural racism in my own life, I don't think that anybody else should be able to stand by and, and not think about what it is that they can do to challenge runaway climate change within their yeah. own lives. You know, there is something that all of us can be doing and sacrifices that we can make if we need to. And there's a lot of changes that you can make that aren't sacrificial. And to be honest, there's, there's something that you can make that would be, and it would be a wise thing to
1: do for all of us. Brilliant. Amazing. Thank you very much. Well, well, look, this has been amazing to chat with you, to hear you, uh, not only your story, but the story about Glastonbury and Greenpeace. Uh, I just want to say, I think he, Greenpeace in, and Glastonbury are doing an amazing job. I think you did find this balance of creating a faster experience while creating engagement. So uh, the, the reach that you are having and the amount of change you're doing but with your work together with your team is fantastic. That's really yeah. kind of you. Thanks. Thanks, Miguel. Yeah, and and I mean, just talking to you today, I just feel like, <laughs> yeah, as you say, it's time to take action. So
3: it certainly is, mate. Yeah. I'll, see, I'll see you on the barricades. Yes. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Don't uh, you shouldn't feel bad to bring in the mood down every now and then. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> uh, so can't, I can't help it. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. So so it, it was really really amazing to have this conversation with you. Yeah, I enjoyed talking to you too. Thanks, Miguel.
0: Yeah, I can only echo Miguel. I I feel really inspired right now. I'm sat here in my bedroom, like, right, what can I do? immediately so yeah thank you so much for speaking to us luke
3: it's my wow. pleasure and let's all hope that we're going to meet under the rave tree on the greenpeace field in 2021 promise you a good party
1: <laughs> i think those are the words to finish off then <laughs> Oh, that was a great chat with Luke, and what amazing work he does with his team at every edition of the festival. How great that he was able to combine like these two passions, like he's been going to the festival since he was a teenager, and he's in activism, and now like he's combining all this at the festival. Like, yeah, well done, Luke. <laughs> mm, yeah, it was really, really cool to speak to him.
0: It's it's just mad to hear someone with that many years of experience and that many different varieties of experience. You know, going from, as you mentioned, going from somebody who maybe jumped the fence in their first year to actually, you know, managing a field and then all the complexities that come with that I don't know about you Miguel I loved hearing about all the stuff like you know uh how they got the olive oil kind of delivered from Panama or something I think (laughs) you know the chefs pick up the food on the way down all those little things that you wouldn't wouldn't think to hear about I loved it
2: uh yeah brilliant interview guys um so much good information there I always find you know with, with people that put so much into it and you know and really keen on saving the environment and not not just saving the environment but promoting it and and working so hard it's just it's fantastic, and Lucas clearly dedicated a large uh, amount of his life to that. So he's worked really hard, and 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 now he's got this fantastic
1: job at the festival. It was great to learn uh, the care they put into offsetting the their own impact of putting the field every year, and and I think that's what he said, like to showcase that that is a better way, a more sustainable way of running things, and yeah, so that was very interesting. And he gave us some so many insights and stories about what happens behind the scenes. So I
0: love the story about meeting Hank the bin. That was my favorite. <laughs> I've got a few friends who, uh, who, who are bin painters or binnies as they refer to themselves. So it was really when he was telling that story, it was making me
1: smile. I enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, maybe one day we should get Hank the Bink to come to the podcast and give his side of the story. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine another thing I found quite interesting. He mentioned how in the recent years, they kind of deprioritized campaigning and were focusing on building the field, bringing the audience. And I must, mm. I must say that that definitely is working because I've been going more and more to the Greenpeace field every year I'm, and I'm getting more affected by their message at the same time. So that's definitely a good job going on there.
0: <laughs> mm, yeah, same for me. Like I, I think we used to drop in as such, but we didn't really used to stay there. Uh, I, I think I said in one of our sort of roundups of last year that, you know, I went, to, I spent an entire day at Greenpeace mainly for the music, but, you know, there's a lot of breaks between the music and you end up, you know, wandering around speaking to people and there's just so much going on there. So, yeah.
1: Really amazing place. I think the the is the giant rave tree. I think that was a great addition. I think they did it one year and it kind of stayed. And it means it became like a night spot as well. But then people come back in the morning to have some food or to to have conversations. So yeah, I must
2: admit I've spent uh, you know many of my evenings uh, there in particular because I just absolutely love that rave tree. Um, I think it's just such a beautiful spectacle. Uh, and as a fan of that kind of you know the music they play in the evenings there, uh, what a great vibe, fantastic.
0: Mm-hmm. And. Also also to do power ballad yoga, you know that's my favourite thing thing on a on a on a morning at Greenpeace.
1: One day I'm gonna I'm gonna be able to wake up there early, or you stay awake longer, stay awake.
0: <laughs> Probably
1: is the one. that's the way. To yeah, do that it. will be my strategy as well.
0: Let's be honest, Miguel. Me and you are the ones that will stay awake till <laughs> ten in the morning. We won't be going to bed and getting up by then.
1: <laughs> Brilliant. Well so I think that's that's it from us for this episode Jesse
0: yeah, yeah, I think that's that's it. It's great to be back after such a long time. So, yeah, really, really good.
1: We're definitely going to be trying to put more episodes out. Of, of course, things, everything got a little bit difficult. And 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 while we were preparing this episode, there, there was some news update that the October sale is not going to happen. So it's definitely going to be a different run-up to the festival, as we mentioned at the beginning. But we're looking to hear your stories. There are 50 years of story that we can listen and interview people about. <laughs>
0: Yeah that's the thing. Yeah, as as we say in every episode, if you've got anything to, to talk with us about, you know, it doesn't have to be an hour long interview like I one with Luke. It can just be like a 10 minute chat about, you know, your 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 experience of the festival and what it means to you. Um, and then yeah, let's let's get it going. Let's get some more episodes out and we'd love to speak to you.
1: And thank you very much. See you next time. Yeah, thanks. Bye.